what Len said about Wednesday night. Uh, come, you'll not be disappointed. These uh, folk have done under God a tremendous work. Stories that uh, they've told over the years of lives that have been reclaimed uh, from uh, disaster, really, or potential disaster. Lives that have been changed uh, and so forth. And that it really uh, will be your, to your benefit to be here on Wednesday evening and to hear more about that organization. Well, we're turning to John chapter 15 uh, again this morning, reading from the end of John chapter 15 through into chapter 16. Uh, Wednesday night, I uh, said to the folk that uh, today, this morning might be a bit lighter. Well, initially it won't be. Uh, uh, We're still in some of the dark things that Jesus had to say to his disciples. But uh, hopefully as we come towards the end this morning, you'll see that there is tremendous light, as as it were, at the end of the tunnel, a tremendous challenge for God's people. So we're reading from John 15. And verse 26, Jesus says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Just a moment of prayer as we come to God's Word. Father, we are conscious that as we listen to the voice of the Lord Jesus here, He is telling us um, serious critical things, that uh, those things spoken to the first disciples still apply to us today, and that as he instructed them, so he would instruct us. And we pray, Lord, in these moments that you will open our hearts to hear what you're saying to us in our day, for our generation, in our context, and pray, Lord, that you will feed us through your word and encourage us through your word today, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Some years ago, one of the uh, national broadcasting companies uh, offered viewers uh, free 3D spectacles and a program because they had planned a program of special transmissions in three dimensions 
which would uh, be enhanced if you wore these glasses and you watched television. And the response actually to it was quite positive. Many people responded and said that it had indeed made uh, a big difference. It had added a dimension to their viewing. It had brought a, a more of a sense of reality and involvement uh, and so forth in their viewing of the programs. Of course, 3D is old hat now, isn't it? We're into the uh, era now of virtual reality when uh, you can have all kinds of experiences uh, while sitting at the fireside. If you get special equipment, uh, you, can, you can fly a plane, you can uh, drive a racing car, you can float in space, you can do all kinds of things. We even have in Formula One today our virtual safety car now, uh, and so forth, which is uh, a means of, of keeping the race safe without actually putting an actual car on the racing track. It's all very good, and undoubtedly this technology can be and has been put to positive and good use. But you know, at its foundation, it's a lie, isn't it? At its foundation, there's a, an element of falsehood in it, because it is, if you like, presenting what purports to be reality, but which, in fact, is not. The 3D spectacles and the virtual uh, reality uh, uh, glasses, if you like, give what, strictly speaking, is a false view, a distortion of reality. When we move into the spiritual realm, sin has that same kind of effect upon the minds of men and women. Sin affects the spiritual sight of men and women and boys and girls, but in an infinitely deadlier manner than what we have spoken about uh, with regard to 3D and virtual reality. And in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ here, we have a stark warning about the distortion and falsehood in thinking which results from sin, which is the fallout from sin. If you want a a title for the message this morning, uh, that's what I would call it, sin's deadly fallout. Because there is a, a, a critically and eternally dangerous fallout from sin. And the perspective which men and women in their sin have upon the world around is deeply flawed. We have a false view of self. We don't see ourselves as we really are. We have a false view of others. We don't see others as God sees them. And we have a false view of the world around us. We don't see the world as God sees it. And so the perspective on the world uh, in, in, uh, on the part of the unregenerate man or woman is seriously flawed. And the Bible speaks about sin's blinding influence upon us, particularly with respect to our own personal spiritual state and standing before God, but also upon uh, the world around us. And in recent decades, and particularly, I would say, over the last decade, the acceleration of that distortion, the acceleration of that distortion has been frightening. It's been frightening. 
how values have changed and been warped and twisted. But I want to say this morning from God's Word, it's not a new thing. And actually, if you, when you read these words of the Lord Jesus, it's in view here as he gives instructions to his disciples. And there are three things again this morning I want to leave with you from this passage that we have read together. The first is this. I want you to see Christ's teaching here about the perversion of true standards. The perversion of true standards. The effects of sin on the human mind and human thinking are described in various ways in Scripture. The Jews, for example, failed to recognize the Messiah. We're told by John that uh, when he came to them, his own did not recognize him. They did not accept him. Sin had blinded their minds. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, the the God of this world has blinded the minds (coughs) of unbelievers. He has drawn the veil over their minds so that the light does not penetrate. But Jesus actually goes a step further here. In chapter 16 and verse 2, he says this, They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Now here what Jesus is speaking about here is in fact the actual turning upside down, turning back to front, the inversion, if you like, of good and evil, of right and wrong. You think of Saul of Tarsus. That's exactly what happened in his case as he stood uh, watching Stephen being stoned, holding the coats for those who were stoning him to death. He thought, he was convinced that he was doing God's service. Convinced that what he was doing was in the will of God. And yet we we can see today, and he came to see, how that was the result of the blindness and the deceit of the devil perverting his thinking. So what Jesus is actually underlining here is not merely rejection of the truth, but it is the perversion of the truth the inversion of right and wrong, the turning upside down of the standards of God's Word. Such is the depravity of sin that people pursuing evil will believe that they are doing good. Do I need to expand on that in today's society? I don't think so. Twenty years ago, maybe less, Who could have foreseen men and women hauled before the courts of the land for hate crimes because they have stated that a homosexual lifestyle is wrong against God's will? Who could have foreseen that? Who could have foreseen a short time ago people being persecuted and even prosecuted for stating that children brought up in the stable relationship of one man to one woman is the ideal and the best way of bringing up children. 
Who could have foreseen that people would be prosecuted for saying such a thing? Who could have foreseen that a disabled believer in a wheelchair could be hauled physically away by the police for praying outside an abortion clinic? Who could have foreseen that? Dear friends, we need to disabuse ourselves of the idea that we are living in a Christian society today. We are no longer, if ever we did, living in a Christian society. We are living in paganism. We are living in a pagan society where the standards of God's word have been turned upside down. You know, if you look back through church history, it has really been there. Perhaps not in the intensity that we see it today, but it has always been there. In Roman times, Christians were thrown to the lions in the belief that this was purifying society. In pre-Reformation and Reformation times, true believers were hounded and harassed and tortured and killed on account of their stand for the truth. And in our day, believers are losing their careers and their livelihoods for upholding biblical standards. In other parts of the world, they are even losing their lives. Let me tell you this, that that perversion, that twisting and depraving of the standards of God is not the preserve of the irreligious. It's not just irreligious people or anti-religious people. We have witnessed so-called biblical scholars excising parts of Scripture that they don't like. It doesn't fit in with their idea of God. It doesn't fit in their, with their idea of the world. There have been those who have more or less torn up the book of Genesis. Those in the pulpits who question and have questioned the resurrection of Jesus. Those who claim to be Christians laughing at us who believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Dear friends, this is, if you like, the result of sin. It is sin's deadly fallout, the perversion of true standards. And sin will always distort. Sin will always distort and always destroy. It will substitute fallen standards for the standards of God. Now that's deeply serious for the unbeliever. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to tell you from the Word of God that you are caught in this. That's where you are spiritually. In the realm where the true standards of God are, 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 are attacked and um, minimized and even turned upside down. And of course, it's a tremendous challenge for us as believers because this is the sort of world in which we are called upon to witness. Witnessing in a world where, if you like, no longer can we actually presume that people have a sense of right and wrong, which is in any sense in accord with God's Word, the Bible. So, first of all, there is this perversion of true standards. The second thing that Jesus speaks about here is, if you like, the root cause of that, which is ignorance of the true God and Savior. Because um, 
this, this ignorance is both at the root of the sin and perversion we've talked about, but it also brings about more sinful ignorance and perversion. And, and, and Jesus says here in chapter 16, verse 3, And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. They have not known the Father nor me. Why are men and women prey to this awful distortion of truth? Why do men and women fall for the, the, the deceit of the devil? And the reason is, says Jesus, because they are far from God. They are cut off from God. And so they become easy prey for a subtle and twisted deceiver, the devil. It is this ignorance of God, it is this distance from him, which results in depraved thinking and behavior. Now, when we think of people like that, we are inclined to think of them as frequenting the pubs and the clubs and the shady places of doubtful behavior. That's where you'll find the people who are ignorant of God and ignorant of his salvation. But let me tell you, you're wrong. You're wrong. Many are in their church seats on a Sunday morning, maybe during the week as well. Many are well-versed in religious learning, like the scribes and the Pharisees of old. But they don't know God, nor his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think for a moment about the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. Who was more in need of salvation? Who was more in need of salvation? The prodigal son who ran away from home and wasted his substance or the older son who stayed at home? Was it the runaway son who wallowed in sin or the older son who wallowed in self-righteousness? Who was more in need of salvation? Well, the fact is that both were deluded and deceived by Satan. Both were ignorant of the truth. One, as I say, wallowing in sinful behavior. The other wallowing in self-righteousness, which is unacceptable to God. And you know, dear friends, tragically, and we've got to be honest about this because it's part of the, it's part of the disease, that, that, that the religious disease that grips our nation today. Tragically, some of these people occupy pulpits. And they preach their untruth from the pulpit. They preach their lies to blind sinners in the pews. And like the false prophets of old, they pat folk on the back and say, go on, you're doing well, you're doing okay. All the time these people are heading for a lost eternity. There was a man called William Haslam. He lived in England in the 1800s. He was taken seriously ill and uh, recovered. And he felt, in, in a sense, uh, really recovered because of a miracle that happened to him. And he decided to become a clergyman. But Haslam only had a head knowledge of the gospel and God. He had no heart knowledge. He had never truly been saved. 
One day his gardener fell ill and uh, he was dying. And Haslan, as a clergyman, realized he didn't have anything to say to this man. He had nothing to say to this man that would bring him comfort in the face of death. A Christian neighbor actually came and spoke to this man who was dying and led him to the Lord. And Haslan was troubled because he knew something was missing in his heart. One Sunday in 1851, he was preaching from Matthew 22, 42. What think ye of Christ? And as he spoke, his inner conscience was telling him, you're no better than the Pharisees. And as he kept preaching, his face changed. His heart leapt upward and something happened within him. A man in the congregation, seeing the change, stood up and shouted, the parson is converted, hallelujah. And instantly, the several hundred attenders began praising God and singing to God's glory. William Haslam was converted under his own preaching. Today, sadly, there are many in pulpits all over our land. And they are not doing the work of God. They think they're doing God's work. They imagine they're doing God's work. They imagine they're doing good. But in fact, they are carrying out the work of the evil one. So we have these two things that Jesus spoke specifically about, the the perversion of true standards, and then, if you like, the the root cause of that, the ignorance of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The third thing is this. There is a resultant challenge to us as believers. Christ didn't tell his disciples that simply to sort of say to the well, you know, this is what's going to happen. He tells them here, he said he has warned them before uh, so that you remember uh, when this happens, I've told you about it. He says to them specifically, he talks about them, he says, I've said these things to you to keep you from falling away. He had purposes. He had a number of purposes in explaining these things to the disciples. And, and I want to bring, uh, as we come to a close this morning, I want to bring those to you in a series of questions. Well, in one question perhaps, uh, with related questions. How are we as believers to respond to the situation that we find around us today? The situation is Jesus explained it here. How are we to respond? You know, we can throw up our hands in horror. Oh, things are terrible, aren't they? Dreadful. But I don't think God wants us to do that, to throw up our hands in helpless horror. Do we retreat? into our churches and pull up the drawbridge, as it were. You know, they talk about Christians getting into their holy castles and pulling up the drawbridge so that nobody can get at us and so that we can't be attacked. Is that the way to do it? Do we withdraw? Pull up the drawbridge and protect ourselves and, well, the world can go to hell? No. Are we to wallow in self-pity? Oh, poor us, isn't it terrible? having to live today as a Christian in the kind of world that we're living in? Well, no, because as I say, look back through church history and you'll see that the people of God have constantly and consistently been vilified, persecuted, harassed, even killed down the centuries. So what are we to do? In what way are we to respond to what is a very dark picture, a very black picture? 
Well, Jesus, first of all, hints at it really in chapter 16, verses 1 and 4. He says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. This is a warning for ourselves, first of all. We're to take heed of ourselves. In verse 4, I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So we have been pre-warned so that we might be pre-armed. We've been pre-warned so that we might be prepared, if you like, for what will come. The second thing is this. We are to recall that our enemy has been defeated. Look at verse 11, the very last verse that we read where Jesus speaks of um, part of the work of the Holy Spirit, that he will come convicting the world of uh, sin and righteousness and judgment. And he says in verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The ruler of this world has been judged. Our enemy has already been defeated. The battle is already ours. It may not seem like that. It may appear to be the opposite in the world in which we live today, but God's Word assures us that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, crying out, it is finished, and then when He rose again, He did so not as the victim, but as the victor, the one who has defeated death and sin and hell, so that the worst that men and women can do to us can never thwart the good purpose of God for us as his children. So we have been pre-warned so that we can be prepared. We are to recall that our enemy has already been defeated. We are to rely on the help of the divine helper. Chapter 11, verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, proceeds from the Father. The word parakletos in Greek has been, it has been translated in so many different ways as paraklete, as the helper, as the advocate, as the counselor. Literally what it means, it means someone called alongside to help us and to support us. I had in my mind this morning, I didn't know whether I had to do a children's talk or not, but I brought with me my walking stick. My, I was going to borrow Willie Roberts actually, but I didn't know whether he would be here or not, so I brought my own this morning. And to illustrate to the children, what, what does a walking stick do? It helps us in our weakness. If we have a sore leg or a sore back, or whatever, we may lean on that. And in that sense, if you like, the, the, the helper comes alongside us to support us and to help us and we are to lean upon him as we walk through this dark and difficult world. Sometimes I feel myself that I'm not conscious as, as I ought to be that God lives in me. That's a fact. For you as a believer today, God lives in you. Wherever you go, wherever you walk, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is with, with you. And we walk effectively, 
We walk in truth as we walk in dependence upon the divine helper. So we've been pre-warned in order to be prepared. We are to recall that our enemy has been defeated. We are to rely on the help of the divine helper. And then, and here's the challenge. We are to bear witness to the truth of Jesus in the power of the Spirit. Verses 26 and 27. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. You also will bear witness. Are we to, if you like, are we to retreat and pull up the drawbridge? Not at all. The opposite, says Jesus. We're to go out and we're to bear witness to the truth in his power. We are to go out and we are to witness to Christ in the knowledge that the light will banish darkness. The light will banish darkness. The truth will conquer falsehood. The one who is all good will destroy and has destroyed the devil and all his works. As we live and witness in this world, remember, remember this, that it is a sovereign God through His Spirit who speaks to this lost world. We are here today not by accident. We are in this community. We are part of this community. We are, we are set in this world at this time, not by accident, but deliberately. God wants you here now. And me. For he has this work of witness for us to do. God speaks to a lost world by the power of his spirit through those who are spirit filled. He sent his spirit into this world for this very purpose. And so what's our response? Our response is this. We need to be up and doing. We need to be up and doing. Not lying back and lamenting that we have been, we're a persecuted and harassed, troubled people. Not drawing up the drawbridge and saying, well, we're going to stay out of the line of fire. We're going to protect ourselves from danger. Not to throw up our hands in helpless horror and feel that there's nothing can be done, nothing should be done. Exactly the opposite. The Christian, God's people have been called into a battle, into a war. We're not called upon to hide in the trenches. We're called upon to go over the top. And by the Spirit of God, to take this gospel to a lost world. The perversion of true standards, yes. We see it so clearly in our world today. And the reason, the reason is that men and women are far away from God. But how will they know how to get back to God? How will they be brought back to God? They'll be brought back to God when we as believers take up the challenge seriously 
to go into a lost world with the only message that can transform lives and the only message that can transform this world, the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're called to do so in the power of the Almighty Spirit of God. Well, may we respond to the challenge. May the Lord bless us. May the Lord encourage us tonight as we listen to the testimonies of those whose lives God has changed and who are going to bear witness publicly to what the Lord Jesus has done in them. May we be encouraged. May we be strengthened. May we be helped to go out into the world leaning upon our helper, the Holy Spirit, in order to make us effective in winning souls for Christ today. We're going to sing our closing hymn, and it's O Church Arise. It's a call to arms, if you like. Uh, o Church Arise, and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ, our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given. So let's sing it. Let's sing it thoughtfully. Let's sing it as a response to the word of God today. <laughs>